Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So uh, this Kevin dude from the, the Crossing Broad, seems like a nice enough fellow. He's a nice guy. If you're sick of shoveling snow and looking at Carson Wentz trade rumors on the internet, then this is a podcast for you. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. On a Tuesday afternoon, the snow has finally stopped. I'm sure it will pick up uh, at some point later this week. I'm sure I'll, I will be out there shoveling uh, for the eighth or ninth time this week. But you know what? We don't have to worry about that right now because this is our safe space for soccer talk in the Delaware Valley. I'm Kevin Kincaid, your host on episode number 123. We have a very special guest joining the program today. You've seen her on the Philadelphia Union pregame show, halftime show, uh, Fox Sports CBS, uh, ESPN. I'm sure there's a bunch of other platforms I'm forgetting, but she can fill me in on the rest. It's Marissa Pilla. What's up, Marissa? Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. Did I get them all there? Did I name them all? I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many. So Right, right. <laughs> well, by the time I read through your entire LinkedIn profile, it would be the, <laughs> the end of the podcast. And then we would just have to cut it off right there because we'd be at like 30 minutes in. Yeah. Um, welcome. It's good to have you. Um, long overdue, you know, every time I'm on, like, I'm well into the one hundreds for episodes now. And, you know, I have guests on and I'm sitting here thinking like, why the hell did it take me so long to get this person on the show? So uh, <laughs> that's where I'm at with that now. And like I told you before the show, you know, there's not really a ton going on with the union right now. So we're going to do kind of like a potpourri of uh, topics, a cornucopia, uh, if you Ooh, will, like of, of soccer topics. So, um, you know, I would just start with something very generic, you were kind of all over the place. Uh, the last year you were doing union stuff. You did the challenge cup out in Utah. I mean, I felt like I, I saw you on every different stream and TV <laughs> channel where, where soccer was. I mean, what was, what was the last, uh, what was the last year like for you? It was pretty wild. I, I have to say like, in addition to everything that everybody else was going through, um, you know how it was for sports people in 2020. I wasn't sure if I was even going to work. Um, so my first job in 2020, uh, was MLS opening weekend out in Portland. So, I mean, I started off with an incredible, incredible environment out there. It was Portland, Minnesota. It was a really great game. I was like, wow, 2020 is my year, man. Then I flew home and the world stopped. Um, but I, I was really fortunate to have worked as much as I did. So I really only did one Fox game last year. Um, which seems like 10 years ago at this point, but that's when the NWSL kind of swooped in and was like, I got a call maybe like early June, I want to say late May. And they're like, Hey, if we do a tournament in Utah, would you want to cover it? And I was like, yeah, sure. But like at that point, it's like, you don't know what's really going to happen. You don't know. Like, so yeah, I mean, my calendar's open. I am available. So (laughs) (laughs) So, and then all of a sudden, like I was, you know, on a plane out to Utah, I stayed in suburban Salt Lake for a month, um, which was a wild experience. And I was getting tested every three days. Um, so between that and the altitude, my nose was just like, <laughs> just through the ringer. <laughs> but Challenge Cup was really great. A lot of eyeballs on the NWSL for that month. And then we went into the fall series. And of course, MLS picked back up after their tournament down in Florida. Um, so I have to say, I, I was happy I was in Utah and not the Florida heat for, for a tournament. Did you have any uh, trepidation just about COVID or the situation in general? Because it seems like a weird, it, it was, it was funny because the whole COVID season was kind of like risk versus reward. Like it's, it's weird circumstances, but you know, NWSL, I think benefited from it. the challenge cup went well and it was on CBS and whatnot. So the give and take of that, it seems like there was opportunity there if they were willing to, take the risk and make sure that they got everything right. Yeah, I, I definitely was because at that point, I mean, we still don't know everything, but we really, I felt like I didn't know exactly what I was 
going to be, you know, involved in COVID wise. So I remember (laughs) I got dropped off at the airport and I had a mini panic attack. I'm like, oh my God, there are people here that I don't know. And where are, where have you been? Have you been washing your hands? Are you in a small social circle? Like all these thoughts are running (laughs) through my head, looking at all these strangers, like they're the enemy. Cause I'm like, oh my God, you have COVID. I just know it. So like, it was definitely tense flying out to Utah for me. Like I was just like trying to stay in my own little bubble. I think I had two masks on at the time, just like washing everything consistently. But once we were there inside the bubble, we were so regimented. Like the testing was really well organized. Um, You knew if you were coming in contact with someone, um, one, they had a mask on and two, they were getting tested. So you kind of had this feeling of trust of like, okay, none of us want to be the reason why this thing blows up. So let's all do our part to, you know, like I didn't go on hikes. I didn't really explore Utah. Like I stayed in my apartment. Um, I got all my food delivered, left at the door. I I would walk around the neighborhood, but people were like, oh, you should check out Salt Lake. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be Christian (laughs) that this thing has to fall apart. Like I see the headlines, like reporter infects league with COVID. Like I didn't want to be that person. So. Well, right. Yeah. Cause you're like, you're like the king asshole out of the whole yeah. group. Like you don't, nobody <laughs> wants to be that person, you know? Right. And this so. was like the early, this was like the early days too, where people still weren't really sure about it. You know, like I'd mm-hmm. get back from the grocery store and we'd wipe down the doorknob and, yes. you know, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd put my like hazmat, my borderline hazmat suit in the foyer and we just leave <laughs> it there for like two days, you know, but there was a lot to risk. Cause you guys, you guys were out there relatively early in the pandemic. Yeah, we were there um, pretty much all of July. Uh, so we let, I left late June um, and I came back late July. So we were there like that was kind of my summer. Um, and it was weird because I know a lot of Utah wasn't as strict as Philly was. Like walking around Philly, even if I'm walking my dog and I don't have a mask on, people are looking at me like, asshole like put a mask on (laughs) so like I got that ingrained in my head of like you know it's also like common courtesy but out in Utah it was very different like you'd see people like I I was trying to go to Rita's water ice one day because there was one out there and I thought it was salvation for just a hot second they had a Rita's in Utah there was a Rita's in Utah but I didn't even go because there were people there without masks on and I was just so scared yeah yeah, it was just hard to kind of balance having to be hyper hyper focused with work, those double header days back to back, like you're zoned in and then trying to relax when you're like, Oh, there's a global pandemic going on. So (laughs) it's just a lot of layers. Yeah. Um, you know, this isn't a question that I had written down. I'm just kind of winging it here. Um, we're just kind of having a freestyle conversation, but it was interesting because now we're going back to, you know, MLS is going to start up soon. Um, I'm not sure what the NWSL situation is. I haven't really been keeping up with that too much, but just in general, general, generally speaking, you know, Adam Silver came out and he said he thought it would be good for basketball players to get the vaccine and kind of double it as like a PSA of sorts, you know, and then it would encourage people to feel good about the vaccine and go out in the community and do it. I was originally against that idea. Cause I'm like, I can't have an athlete get the vaccine before like a teacher or a healthcare right. worker or something like that. But now I've kind of like amended my take on that situation a little bit because I'm looking at how we're just kind of scattered and getting it out in general. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, I mean, if they could all get it and it gives people entertainment and the athletes are safe and they're doing all the traveling, like, I don't, I kind of don't see a problem with it now. Um, but my take has changed from what it originally was. I'm just kind of curious as to what you think about it. I think that's really interesting. Cause I was actually thinking about that today. That's so funny. You brought it up. I was like, I wonder if athletes are going to get, uh, preferential treatment in this because we've already seen that with the rapid tests that the leagues are able to get for their players where yeah. they're literally coming back and I got one done and it was bizarre it was done in I got my results in less than 15 minutes where I know some people one still can't find tests two they're waiting three weeks to hear back and at that point it's like well I'm not dead so I guess I didn't have it and so we've already kind of seen the discrepancies of what athletes have you know, access to, but we all know that that's part of the game, but I kind of, I kind of agree. I think it might be good for people to see people who athletes who one take their bodies and health very, very seriously trust the vaccine. And I think that would speak volumes as like, 
okay, here's someone that I admire for, you know, what they're able to do and, and the entertainment they're able to provide and how they take care of their body. And they trust this. They're willing to put this into their body because I think, you know, societally wise, we've been doubting science for way too long, which drives me crazy. Um, so I think you, you make a good point there that it could be good kind of as a PSA. Um, and two, I think this year really proved how important sports are. Um, cause we always kind of see it as a luxury as maybe even at times something frivolous, but then when they were taken away for even myself, I'm like, wow, I work in such an, an exciting field and it's not, you know, I'm not curing cancer. I'm talking about soccer, but when it was removed from our society and as something that, you know, we use as an escaper just to feel happy or to feel excited or passionate about yeah. it was taken away. You realized how, how important it really was. So yeah, I think it would be good if athletes were able to get the vaccine. And cause we've seen some older athletes like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was like putting it out that he had gotten the vaccine and, yeah. and showing older Americans, you know, to trust it too. But I think the young current athletes right now could be really positive. Let me just hit on a couple of Philadelphia Union topics real quick, because it is a union uh, podcast after all. Um, there's really not a lot going on because, you know, they had the labor dispute and uh, obviously you weren't sure when the season was going to start. So have there really been any signings announced and whatnot? Um, I have a very brief thought on the labor dispute. People asked about it on the last podcast. I said, well, they'll probably get it done. They always get it done. Uh, that's the extent of my thought on it. Do you have any thoughts of your own that you'd like to add? Mine's just kind of like, thank God. You know, I just, I, there's already so many unknowns right now, um, just in general with life, that it's just like, can we just have MLS starting when they said they're going to yeah, start? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's just kind of a breath, like a, a relief um, when those tweets were coming in that like, it was signed, like it was done. So yeah, and I'm not you know, insensitive to either side's wants or needs, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, to me, like the negotiating through the media and seeing the various statements and stuff like that just kind of rings hollow, especially at a point where people are just trying to put food on the table and they're just yeah. trying to get through their daily lives in a pandemic. It's like, well, could you guys just kind of get it done and let me know yeah. when you get it done? So <laughs> exactly. that was my take. That was my take. Um, yeah. The new union jerseys, do you like them or do you hate them? I love them. I really do. I'm I'm so tired of streamlined, polished soccer jerseys. I miss like the ragtag, like bizarre eyesore jerseys from the <laughs> early nineties that were just like like nineteen ninety six, the first year of uh, MLS with the crazy stripes and the color schemes. Yeah, and all that. like give me like clashing colors. Give me like weird patterns. I think that's what kind of makes soccer interesting when it comes to other sports. You know, so many other you know, you look at the NFL and those franchises have been set for so long or baseball, especially and certain things are classic. It's like soccer is global. It's eclectic. It's fun. It's young and it's old at the same time. And I, I love that they went with something different. I love the color scheme. I love the pattern. I'm just glad it's not white. Yes. I'm glad it doesn't yeah. have a, just the middle stripe down the center. <laughs> Enough plain white. I know there's enough yeah. plain white. Yeah. Yeah. Just some and creativity. This is me speaking as somebody who's partially colorblind. You know, I appreciate, pl <laughs> I appreciate plain for practical purposes as much as anybody. I don't know how many times I've complained about like the union's dark blue versus the Chicago fires. Red, and I can't see jack shit from the press box, but I don't have to worry about that anymore now. But uh, yeah, it's creative. You know, it's like, why the hell not? You know, I used to like sit here and think like, I used to be like a media curmudgeon where it's like oh, i don't care what they wear i just play the game you know whatever but like it gets fans excited they're interested in it i don't yeah. see why not um what is is there anything god i mean i don't even really know where to start with the union if i just said to you if i just said to you like philadelphia union 2021 like coming off a season when they won the supporter shield sold brendan aronson sold mark mckenzie that kind of like what's like what's on your mind for this season? Like what, what, the, what are the storylines that you're thinking of or what are you kind of interested in, in, in seeing when this season starts? I think for me, it's all about, okay, well now what are you going to do? What's next? Where do you take it from here? And do you have the pieces? Because at least from when I started, which was five years ago, every year the team got incrementally better, just a little bit better. Maybe they made the playoffs. Okay. But they like barely got in. Okay. Next year they, they get in the playoffs and they're not getting in just on goal differential. And then the yeah. next year and the next year, and they were hosting a playoff game last year. And then 
<laughs> they were the top seed this year and we all know how that went out. Um, but every year there was a little something. And I think this year that jump has to be much bigger. The increment has to be much bigger than what we've seen in years past, because now there's no longer the expectation of like, Oh, they're the struggling team that doesn't have like the big budget. Like, no, you've been proving for the last several years that you can get this done with the, with the, players that you have and the salaries that you're paying them. Yeah. So what's going to be the big thing? Who's going to fill in for Brendan and Aronson? What's going to happen with the back line and Mark McKenzie not being there? Um, yeah, I think we're just going to see, I mean, Paxton Aronson is super interesting. To me. Yeah. I yeah. know he is for a lot of people, but what's going to happen? How is he going to get used? If at all, um, Anthony Fontana, I've said before is a name that I think we're going to see more and more of. He's gotten a lot, a lot stronger. I heard a lot more confident. So, and then Jim Curtin coming off coach of the year, which I thought was really exciting um, and how he kind of builds off of that. So it's all kind of, to me, just like, well, what are you going to do with the success? You got, you had it, you tasted it. Now what, what are you going to do? With yeah. It? Like what's the next level, right? Like right. what's, so, what's the next step? Yeah. Because yeah. I think they were always exceeding people's expectations of them for so long, but now finally expectations have caught up to them. Okay, well, this is what this is the baseline of what we expect of you. Now, how can you raise that level? Yeah, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I would agree with all that. I'm curious, and I got it's. I think it's on me partially to accept the fact that uh, you know they're not going to be a team that goes out and makes the foreign signing in the winter. Cause this is normally the time every year where there's like, like the Vince Noguera or the Chaco Maidana or like the Harris Madunian in his announce or something. I got to like make peace uh, with myself, understanding that that's probably not coming. And you're excited for Paxton Aronson. You're excited for all these Academy guys, but um, you know, those press releases don't move the needle in the same way that like a Fernando Aristigueta <laughs> would necessarily. So we kind of have to adjust our thinking as union fans and just accept that this is the way it's going to have to be. And the way that it is right now is currently resulting in the best union team we've ever seen. Right. So it's, right. it's on us to kind of get over the hump. I just wanted, I want to talk a lot about NWSL and the women's game. Cause we don't talk about it a lot on this podcast, but I want to do a quick exercise um, before we do that, we always like to do an exercise on the podcast. And today's exercise is we're going to take the World Cup cities okay. and narrow them down to the 10. Oh, I already have a list of 16. I oh, do prepared. you? Oh, my. look <laughs> yeah. at this. I wish I wish I could show people. Yeah, she has a notepad that she just held up on the screen. And by the way, my top six. My I was having, uh, by the way, just so people uh, are aware, we're having technical, I was having technical difficulties earlier. So Marissa is looking at me through my phone. I'm looking at her on my desktop because my laptop was going through like a two hour windows update. So I keep looking at the wrong thing. I have to look at her down here. I keep looking at my other screen. I'm like a bozo. She's looking at me from the side, but um, anyway, so the, the, I guess the final list of, um, you know, American cities was announced for world cup 2026. we already know that it's going to be three in Canada and three in Mexico. And those have already been selected and narrowed down. So it's Edmonton, Montreal, Toronto, and then in Mexico, it's going to be Mexico City, Monterey, and uh, Guadalajara. So we have the final list of American cities, and that's going to have to be narrowed down to 10. So um, I will read the, the list here. The list is Philadelphia, Nashville, Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Miami, uh, Orlando, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. Marissa, you go first and you give me your list. Okay. Well, Philly, obviously. Yes. Um, because, you know, I don't need to explain that. Right, um, right. I, I really love Baltimore. I think I lived in Baltimore for a couple years. It is such oh. a cool city. Well, you're a Terrapin um, too, aren't you? <laughs> I am a Terrapin. Yeah. Um, it's a really cool city. Um, especially being right on the water. It's different. I think for World Cup fans, it's maybe a city because there's going to be people coming here from all over the world. It's a city not a lot of people visit. But I think once you're there, you really enjoy Nashville um, for selfish reasons, because I want to go. Um, <laughs> Atlanta, I think you have to see that stadium. That stadium's great. Yeah. Miami. Um, I'll say this right now. Not Orlando. 
I don't care what other <laughs> I really not no offense to Orlando or Houston, yeah. but yeah. no. Be like forty million degrees in um just the no. summer. Yeah. I was in Houston for a game one time in July and I thought I was going to melt into a puddle. And <laughs> I don't know how these people were running around playing soccer because I was holding a microphone and I like lost ten pounds in water weight. Yeah, I used to live in Georgia and like it was ninety bazillion degrees in the summer. And this was before I was wearing flip flops. I was still like a hard ass heavy metal kid. And I'm like, I don't wear flip flops, you know. So I'd be walking around with like black shoes and black socks. It was like a hundred degrees. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, no Houston, no Orlando, but Seattle. I think you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, L.A. because people people love it out there. Um, I like Denver. Um, and I think I'm going to go Boston. Hmm. Okay. No, New York. I think New York's tired. I would agree a hundred percent with that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because your list kind of looks like my list and mine is just kind of done on a, the principle of, I don't want any city that hosted in 1994 <laughs> to host this time around. And I well, know that sounds... Petty. No, I know it does sound petty. It sounds vindictive, but I'm sitting here thinking like, look, if you were, um, let's say you were 30 years old in 1994, right? And you went to the Silverdome in Detroit to see team A versus team B, right? Well, in the 26 years, probably now you're, now you're what, 56 years old uh, or 57, I guess. Should you be able to see a game in the same place? Like, I feel like it's recent enough that you could justify yeah. Just taking no, all of the all of the previous cities up there. So look, I went through the list and I crossed off all the ones that hosted it last time. So LA had it last time. New York had it last time. Boston hosted it last time. Dallas, um, Orlando actually at the Citrus Bowl hosted and San Francisco and DC. So if you take those out of there, that's actually six, believe it or not. So if you take all of those out of there and just did it based on who hasn't had a chance yet, you'd have Philly, Nashville, Atlanta, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, uh, Miami, and Seattle. Yeah. Like, that's not a bad list, right? Kansas I mean, it's, City is a great soccer town, too. It's a huge, so, yeah, it's a huge yeah. town. It's not, is it sacrilegious for me to think that we would have a World Cup here without LA or New York hosting? It'd be like Japan hosting, but not having anything in Tokyo. I know. And when you say it like that, it's like, yeah, I guess. But I'm just so, I'm tired of the New York. I'm just tired of it. Yeah. Um. Because like think like NYCFC plays at Yankee Stadium. We're gonna have a World Cup at Yankee Stadium. Like yeah, right. my dead body. <laughs> and then <laughs> what, you're gonna send people to Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey for a World Cup? Like, come on. Oh yeah, we don't need the final at like MetLife or something. I would yeah. love to see something. I would just like to showcase different cities. So I'm all for uh, equity and fairness. Yeah. That's how and there's I so see. many like like the Nashvilles, like Kansas City, like smaller cities, but that have been bringing in great soccer. Like I wish Portland was on the list to be honest. Cause I think Portland yeah. would have been great. Yeah, I think um, so. But Seattle for sure, I think should be, should be on there just to show the different parts of the country too. Cause I think everybody, you know, I have relatives who live in Italy and when they think of America, they think of Philadelphia cause that's where I live, New York yeah. and LA yeah. and, that, and maybe Miami. So to show different areas and to really highlight the different, the different cities we have. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, okay, so you're heavily involved in the women's game in NWSL. We do not have an NWSL team in Philadelphia. Uh, we had the charge here about 20 years ago. We had the independence here about 10 years ago. Um, what do you re- remember? Do you remember much about those teams or what was your earliest in- involvement with with the, the women's game here in town? I definitely remember the charge. Um, my dad used to bring me to the games at Villanova. Yeah. I actually just found my uh, my charge visor that I bought and I got it signed by like Heather Mitz. So like I was the coolest <laughs> kid in third grade. Uh, yeah. They had some good players in that. They team. Had I, really good players. Yeah, because Hope, Hope Solo, a very young Hope Solo mm-hmm. was on that team and uh, Kelly Smith too. Yeah. There was the a charge. lot of talented players and Lori Lindsay played for the Philadelphia Independence. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember the charge games a lot because I think for a lot of people my age, the 99 Women's World Cup really kind of set the tone for yeah. um, falling in love even more with the sport and wanting to be more involved in it. So that, and my dad really was great in that fact where he encouraged that. 
um, and he would bring me to games and he would make me watch games too. So just to have that and have that visibility to see players playing who looked like me, I think was really important. Um, but I think it, an NWSL team could do well here. I really think they could. Um, there's such an, a good, passionate soccer base here to begin with. Um, not only that, but what happens a lot in NWSL, especially in the draft in later rounds, is teams start taking athletes who are local, who maybe grew up in that area, who maybe went to college in that area. So you take them maybe in the third or fourth round because you know they'll have a support system around them even if they don't make this team. And Philly and the Delaware Valley and, and New Jersey, all of that, they really have, there's so much talent that comes out of here, not just from colleges, but there's great high school teams. There's great youth teams in this area. I know you know that. So to have that pool where it's kind of a connection based thing too, and then just have Carly Lloyd come home and, and be captain coach. And, and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, um, let me ask it this way then. Um, I'm going to ask you a fill in the blanks question. I don't think I've ever asked anybody a fill in the blanks question on this podcast before in like 122 episodes. Um, In order for NWSL to successfully come to Philadelphia blank. They need to have the right ownership. And we've been seeing a lot of really big names come into the ownership world for women's soccer and I think that speaks a lot of volumes to the to players. If they see that the ownership is super, super invested really in this team succeeding and being very open to hearing what the team needs, that is something that makes the team really attractive. When players know that they could say, hey, like something as little as like, you know, the water pressure is not great to something as big as culture or something. If their voices are being heard and they have ownership that's they're face-to-face, not just kind of behind the screen or scene or whatever. Um, that's when I think it makes it attractive because with NWSL, you need to make your cities attractive and want people want to play them in them, um, especially with expansion drafts and things like that. So I think it needs strong ownership and a, and a, really, um, a really great coach that can kind of pull people in. I agree with that 100%. And what I would say is that uh... – like that ownership kind of needs to be not independent, but they kind of have to, um, God, how would I say it? They kind of have to prioritize the team in a way where, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, why can't they, a women's team just play at Subaru park? And why can't the union ownership be involved or why can't they have like a women's team on the side or something? And, and my feeling with that is I know it works in some places, um, you know, Portland, I would say, right. But we're not Portland. And that's kind of a special crowd up there, but it can't, it can't just be like, here's our women's team. They play here, you know, on Sundays after the men's team plays on Saturday. And uh, you know, you'd never, you, people would be unhappy with like the split in resources. Cause union fans would say, well, why are we budgeting for a women's team when we could go out and get DPs? And then fans of the women's team would say, well, how can we split resources with the men's team? Because it doesn't really serve. I don't know if it serve, serves either team the best way. You know what I mean? So in, in my thought, it's kind of got to be like independent and their own thing and they have to be committed to it. It can't just be like a, a little side investment or a side project. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I think too, you don't want anyone to feel inferior of that. Like they're not, you know, seen as the money maker or whatever, but yeah, Portland, Portland is, kind of the outlier with that because both their men's and women's teams are just, they're, they're run really well. I mean, the crowds they get for women's games are insane. I wish that was, um, I wish that was the norm for everybody, everybody across the league, but I think we're getting there, but I think that's a good point. I would like to see it operate on its own, just exist for, like on its own without um, kind of having to be like the sister team of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um so last one for you. Um, where would you where would you put the stadium or where would you have the team play? Because the independents were a good team and they had a good coach. Yeah, they had and good they, coach. they had good players. And that team was damn good. I mean, you had Amy Rodriguez and Natasha Kai and um Joe Loman and Leanne Sanderson, all these great players. And um I mean, you know, w, WPS had its own problems. It wasn't necessarily just an independent specific thing, but I feel like you got to nail the location in the stadium, don't you? I think for sure. Um, I hesitate to say like 
the link because I know how much people hate playing on turf and like I've seen it, you've seen it, like it's not fun for a lot of these yeah, players. Yeah. And it, and it's tough. I don't know where I would put it. I to be honest, I don't think they should play in Chester if they ever do come here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really but it's hard enough to see. Here's the thing, like, because I, I see a lot of the challenges that soccer faces in this city, not necessarily as being men's problems yeah. or women's problems, but just problems with the game and you know, getting to Chester, mass transit down there, four for four fans who aren't really into the game necessarily. Right. So I, I see it as kind of like one like major sport, the sport of soccer challenge where it's not necessarily like, whoa, so versus the men's game. No, no, I agree. Because when you think like pretend that, you know, um, Subaru Park doesn't exist, where would you put the union? You'd obviously want them with all the stadiums downtown. Like that's one of the biggest appeals of Philly sports is that they're all right there, but you can't just fit a stadium down there. And for a new uh, NWSL team to buy a new stadium just for that doesn't seem like it, like it could happen. So I don't know where, and I wouldn't want to just kind of cast them off to a college stadium because I think they deserve better than that. Like you see some stadiums around the country yeah. and you know, they deserve a little bit better. I don't know. I mean, but when I say that like Penn is in the city, at least it's in the city. It's not, you know, yeah. outside of the the town, but it's tough. I mean, some NWSL teams have really great stadiums. I know Washington spirit splits their time between alley field, but they also are playing, playing in um, Loudon, Virginia, which yeah. is like a very, heavy turf which was awful um it felt like sand (laughs) so i don't know where i would put the philly team but i would make sure that it had a nice grass field i agree and uh i think we'll get there eventually you know um you know the independents had like a nice like two thousand three thousand person cry i think as the union continue to get better and the game continues to grow and again not just men's the men's game versus the women's game, but as soccer becomes more acceptable here, I think a women's team would, would succeed. So I'm pulling for it, you know, I think and then, they, would, they would too. Cause you yeah. see the crowds we get for, you know, national team games whenever they yeah. go through. And yeah. I know that's, you know, such a, um, a big ticket thing, but the passion's there, the, there's an audience there for sure. You want to hear something really stupid? Because I added my phone to the Zoom call, it now thinks that we have three people on the Zoom call. <laughs> so it's telling me that it's going to cut off my recording in a couple minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, this, is so stu- this, this is so stupid because you get the 40 minutes like free if it's just two of you. But apparently yeah. because I put my damn phone on the thing, it's telling me that I only got a couple minutes left. But it's okay because I don't want to keep you forever anyway. You got more important things to do. So um, where can the people find you? And also you have a new podcast of your own as well, right? That's right. Um, I started my own podcast a couple months ago. It's called Pillow Talk. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. Um, yeah, I've talked to a lot of cool people, a lot of soccer people like Vlako Andonovsky, Carly Lloyd. Um, but I've also talked to my recent guest was Brian Westbrook. We talked about Carson Wentz. Who else? Um, I listened to the one. I listened to the one with Colleen Wolf. I was depressed for the first ten minutes. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> That was the Doug Peterson firing day. So. And it was like, I meant I had scheduled her to, to talk to her that day and then everything blows up. So I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're talking about. Colleen. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, right. No, yeah. I change of, change of plans you. here. Change of plans. Yeah, right. But she's so great. Um, boundless energy. So she's awesome. So yeah, it's kind of just me um, taking an opportunity to have longer conversations with people that I don't always get to have on my broadcast because I'm a sideline reporter. Most of the time, my hits need to be 10 to 15 seconds max. So it's just a cool chance for me to sit down and tell some interesting stories from around the world of sports. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, so you can follow along on Instagram, on Twitter, um, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter too. I'm always welcome to more followers. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Follow Marissa um, <laughs> on her various platforms. You'll see her whenever you turn uh, soccer on your TV, you'll probably see her on there at some point on, on some channel. And you're probably already following her on Twitter as well, but it's uh, at Pilla underscore talk, correct? Yes. P-I-L-L-A. Uh, Marissa, thanks for coming on. It was great to have you. And um, yeah, I'm sorry. It took 120 something episodes before I got you on here, <laughs> but I, we will get everybody on and we will, uh, 
we always uh, appreciate everybody uh, joining the program. So thank you. We yeah, appreciate it. I had it. a lot of fun. Thanks. Excellent. All right. All right. Well, let's see what you have for me in uh, questions, comments, and concerns. We're going to start off with Michael Y here. Uh, he says, without replacing the creativity that Brendan Aronson brought to the offense and the stability and recoverability that McKenzie brought to the defense, do the union dig themselves into a hole early uh, that makes it difficult to recover from? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I Obviously, I think we're all underwhelmed uh, as we sit here on February 9th wondering what's going on with the roster and if they're going to make any moves or what's coming down the pike here. But, uh, look, I mean, in, in a at, at surface level, at face value, a team of Santos, Shabilko, Fontana, Jamiro, Brujo, Bedoya, Wagner, Glesnes, Elliott, Gaddis, and Blake is a pretty damn good team. So, you know, the issue then with that is that you need CB depth, you need a third CB, and, uh, you know, another another number 10. I mean, even if you even if you had just paired Glesnes and Elliott and just replaced McKenzie with, like, a, like a backup or, like, an academy guy or something like that, um, and it's still a pretty good team. They just need depth, you know, use the money for the reinforcements. Like, let's, let's go, let's do it, you know. That's where I'm at. Uh, this one is from Union Hulk. He says, Kevin Dino, are you scared that the Union forgot we're in the Champions League? And forget to sign new players that can help uh, because Sugarman is cheap and the academy bailed his stingy ass out last year. Uh, also, why did Andy Bernard take over from Michael Scott on the office? It's the same, the same damn character. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how much of it is the pandemic. I don't know how much of it was the labor dispute. Um, I, I like, you know, is it just academy guys? Is this the world that we're living in? That's what I was saying to Marissa. You know, I mean, this was always the most exciting time of the year. Cause it was like, you'd come after the draft and then you'd finally get that, like, uh, you know, Chaco or Roland Alberg kind of signing. We had the David Akam trade from a couple of years ago, but now it's like Ernst Tanner has sucked the life out of the off season. And I, I get it. I, I don't blame him. They don't think that the draft is worthwhile. Okay. So the draft means nothing. And you've taken that away from the fans. Now we don't look forward to the draft because they don't draft anybody. And you're going to say, well, we're just going to bring Academy kids through. We're not going to make the big, you know, foreign splash. Okay. So then nobody really gets signed. I mean, it's, you know, they, they will make a foreign signing. I'm sure they'll bring in a number 10, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's stale. It's hard to like get people excited or get people interested when you, when you have this approach to roster building. But I guess, like I said to Marissa, it just, it, it is what it is. And we kind of just have to accept it and uh, live with it. And look, if we have a boring off season, a couple of boring off seasons in exchange for being a pretty damn good team and winning a lot of games, uh, then we will take that any day of the week. Yaz is up next. He says, did you see the interview that Ernst did for the Italian uh, paper? Uh, yeah, it was an Italian website. What do you make of his no DP because of locker room chemistry uh, take and any other thoughts on it in general? Yeah, first of all, it seemed like a really random place to do, an a random spot to do an interview, MLSsoccerItalia.com. I didn't even know that was a website. But uh, it's a Q&A with Ernst Tanner on there, and the, the quote uh, that Yaz is talking about, it's at the end of the article here. It says, uh, this is the question, this is the way that the, the interviewer asked it. He said, let us dream a bit. What about signing an Italian DP? Uh, did you have some contact in the past with some Italian players? There's an Italian footballer that you would love to sign uh, if you can choose. And Ernst says, quote, we are not likely spending for DPs, but spending our money for the academy and development. It's also not easy to put a guy with multi-million uh, dollar contract in the locker room with someone making 70K a year. Uh, there are a couple of inter interesting players in the Juventus U23, but right now we have problems with the foreigns. Since the pandemic started, the green card process almost stopped. And now that we lost two highly talented American players, it's difficult to replace them. So 
God, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, first of all, with the DP and the chemistry thing, I mean, first of all, you have guy, you know, Jamiro's making a good amount of money versus some people who are making a good amount of money. I, you know, com- comparatively, aren't making as much money. I don't see there being an issue there. Um, furthermore, you know, the days of, you know, the, the salary floors are higher now. So the days of uh, David Beckham making $10 million or whatever. And, uh, you know, three of his teammates sharing a place in uh, Manhattan beach. Those days are over. You know, if you read the Beckham experiment, uh, Grant wall goes into detail on, on that, how these guys are making like jack shit compared to Beckham. And so the disparity there was enormous, but I think that it's shrunk a little bit these days. Plus, I mean, those galaxy teams, then when they had Beckham and Donovan and Robbie Keane were all making a ton of money, you know, Juninho and Sarvas and Todd Donovan and those guys, they weren't making a ton of money and they did just fine. They won a bunch of titles. So I don't know. I think that's overrated. I think everybody understands that that's what it is. That's the world we live in in MLS. Maybe it's weird to Ernst, but I think the players would just be happy to have a contract, make it more money than we're making and um, be on a winning team. That seems a little bit overblown, but I I don't know. I'm not in a, in a locker room. Um, And then when he says there's problems with the foreigns, uh, foreigners, I guess is what he meant to say since the pandemic started the green card process on this stuff. So I don't know if that means I, I, I would assume that would mean, uh, you know, it could mean both things. It could mean signing foreign players, new foreign players, and getting them over here, or getting green cards for the existing guys to clear up international slots and to move things along. So, you know, again, you you got American guys to replace. It's not like, you know, Alberg is leaving and there goes an international slot. Then you sign an international to replace them. Like you got two Americans to replace. You know, I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't have the green cards off the top of my head. I'm not sure. Who has one and who doesn't? But the the guys who are not from the United States on the roster are Jack Elliott. I think he got his green card. He's been here a while. Glessness doesn't have a green card. Brujo doesn't have a green card. Uh, Jamiro is foreign. Embizo, uh, Sergio Santos, Corey Burke. I mean, I mean, look at how long it took Corey to get it back into the country last year. Jesus, you know. Um, Oravets. Um, Kai Wagner. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a two-edged sword there. I don't know. You'd think it would get better with the Biden administration in charge, but, I, you know, again, he just new president for like two weeks, three weeks, so it's hard uh, to say. But, yeah, that quote was, I don't know. There was a lot with that. That one kind of bothered me. I don't know. Just theoretically, with $15 million, you got, you got money to spend on everything. You could spend a million dollars, $2 million on a number 10, and you'd still have a lot of money left to put into the academy and bring kids through it. So, uh, Mike is checking in. He says the open cup is back, but it's condensed, uh, with fewer teams. Yeah. There's no, there's only, uh, eight team, eight, eight MLS teams that qualify this year. Uh, since this is another trophy, people will put an asterisk on the union are locks to win it. Right. Um, God. Yeah. So it's, so it's weird. So the, um, so what they're going to do this year is they're going to do eight USL teams, four open division teams, two USL League One teams, and two uh, NISA teams. And that's the opening round. And then the eight MLS teams come in at the round of 16. So, And as of now, they don't have a way to determine what teams they're going to be. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could do it, give it to teams that finish at the bottom of the table last year and give them something to play for. Or do you do it for the teams at the top? Cause they have a chance to win it and go on and, you know, make the champions league. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea how you do it. Doesn't make any sense. Imagine doing the FA cup and saying, well, Manchester United is in it, but West Ham isn't, you know, <laughs> It defeats the purpose because the whole point of the U.S. Open Cup is that like everybody can compete in it. I I know it's a pandemic. I'm not really sure what you want, what you you can do or what you want to do, but this is where we are. So the opening round is going to be a it's going to be the end of March, the 29th and the um, the 31st, and then uh, the round of 16 is going to be the end of April. So the MLS teams are going to are going to come in in the round after that, May 18th and 19th. And then the quarterfinals at the end of May. Then they'll play the final at the end of June. So, um, the quote from the um, 
commissioner is on the MLS website and it says, as we look at our scheduling options, the open cup committee first prioritized the health and safety of the players and decided against scheduling matches in both March and April due to the ongoing circumstances with the pandemic. We also took into consideration the extended June FIFA window and the CONCACAF gold cup taking place through August 1st, along with the semifinal and final rounds of the champions league being scheduled in the fall. So I, I, you know, He's just saying that they fell the shortened version this this year, quote, was the best format, and we're excited to have the opportunity to crown a champion after not being able to in 2020. So I don't know. I guess this is something is better than nothing. I guess that's what the philosophy is here. Um, Silver Ray says, when are the union going to be able to get a team of immigration labor lawyers on the staff full-time? Tanner's complaining about not being able to get the guys he wants into the country. Burke took how long? Good point. Uh, meanwhile, Gonzalo Higuain waltzes in. <laughs> How does the union get there? Yeah, I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? Think of the competitive advantage you can have by just having good connections with the right people. And this should not be on a team-by-team basis. Like, this should be the immigration, green card, visa, ITC, all that shit should be handled at the at the, um, at the the league level, you know? I mean, because you're talking about competitive advantages and disadvantages based on whether you can get green cards for teams or not. You got preferential treatment for Gonzalo Higuain going flying to Mexico and then coming back and not having to do the pro the um, the protocol, you know? So it's just as it's a mess, man. It's always, it's always been a mess, you know, just find some slimy politician and get them on your side and tell you win soccer games and, get the uh, superstars in here, you know. Um, Another question from Silver is, this year we see Tanner make a move for a player within MLS. I'm looking at BWP, Kevin Molino, moving to the crew. You know, I'm thinking I would have been more than happy to have either of those guys coming off the bench for us in the CCL. Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, you you replaced the – you have enough academy guys coming through that you can make – you can pull in guys from other teams. doesn't have to be a foreign dude. I would be just excited for like a Kevin Molino or a Bradley Wright Phillips type of trade versus having to go find some foreign guy. You don't have to go through the green card shit, right? Uh, you know, think about what it was like when David Akam, when the Akam trade happened. That was like the equivalent of bringing in a foreign, successful foreign guy. So I think we were all excited for that. The times didn't work out, but it felt similar in terms of uh, you know, how big that move was. Um, a Bev says Diego Costa is without a club. I vote that I vote that we combine the Brendan Bucks with the McKenzie Bucks to watch Diego shred uh, MLS defenses for you. Play the kids with a world class striker. Why not? Why not? Go get a go get a striker. Go get a number ten. I, I feel like they just got to use the money at least like one good solid foreign player. It's not a waste. They're here for two years probably at the least. Maybe you get them for a third year. You know, an option year or something like that. Um, I just can't, you know, you got two open DP slots, use them. If if you're not, then what's the point? You know, use what you're given, you know, it's kind of like what Marissa and I were talking about. It's like, what's the next step? You know, what is the next step here? You have expectations for the first time in a while. So it's not going to be the same going, going into it. Um, you know, with nobody thinking that you're going to do anything. So we're expecting something to happen this off season. Um, Okay, this is good. This is from Pat in the Hat. He said, uh, "Give me a basketball starting five using current and former Union players." Um, so this is what I came up with. So uh, they say that uh, there's positionless basketball these days, but uh, for the sake of the exercise, it wouldn't really work if we just picked five random dudes, right? So uh, we'll go with the traditional starting five here uh, at point guard from Bosnia, standing at I think he was like six foot one. Uh, i got to get Matt Cord in here to do the voice for me. I'm not that good. It's kind of late. I'm kind of tired. Uh, Harris Madunian is my point guard because he can sling it, sling the ball around, pass the ball around, set guys up. Oh, my God. He would he would have – how many how many assists would Harris Madunian have in a basketball game? Chris Paul, level assists, 10 assists, 12 assists. Harris Madunian is my point guard at shooting guard, Sebastian Latou. Because um doesn't have to play defense – can just shoot and score, uh, put the ball in the bucket, turning garbage into gold, as uh, Mark Zumoff said on the last. Uh, he was on the last podcast. Um, at small forward, you know, I'm kind of into the three and D. You know, Robert Covington, uh, Danny Green, 
Otto Porter Jr. kind of player. I think that if the Union had a, like a glue guy, a defensive guy who can uh, move the ball around and let the other guys kind of create around him, I think you put Brian Carroll uh, at small forward. I think he's a good glue guy, a good uh, three and D, um, a wing player. At power forward, you need somebody who can stretch the floor. Uh, but somebody who's big and strong, it can get you some rebounds, and they're going to have to defend opposing uh, power forward. So I've got Connor Casey uh, playing the four on my team. And at center, um, you know, I'm going to go with the old school. You know, I, and you got unicorns like Joel Embiid and uh, Jokic and uh, Giannis Anacumpo. But I'm going to go with an old school kind of like a Shaquille O'Neal, like physical bruiser who can – you know, just do things around the rim up close and personal. And so my center is Danny Califf. So my starting five, my basketball starting five of current and former union players is Harris Madunian in at point guard. I've got Sebastian Latou uh, at shooting guard. I've got my small forward is Brian Carroll, 3 and D. Uh, Connor Casey is my power forward. And at center, uh, I've got Danny Califf. Um, Walrus Poop. Uh, user at Walrus Poop too. Uh, he said, "Can you talk about some of the newer homegrowns on the roster, play style, and how they've performed?" I, I can't with any kind of education. I need to watch more on them. Maybe I can watch some film on them or dig into some old games or something like that. But that's a good topic for another time. Maybe I get Ralph back on here um, and he talks about it. But we'll we'll get back into it, you know, further down the road. But uh, yeah, I'm like you. I'm kind of itchy. I'm looking forward to the season starting again. I'd like to see a signing. I'm waiting. Um, you know, I f- feel like the judge in Caddyshack. Well, where when he says, uh, "Well, we're waiting," right? So we're waiting for a signing. Uh, waiting for something to happen. Um, you know, in the meantime, hopefully you guys appreciated uh, you know the couple podcasts we did. In the meantime, try to do some feature stuff. Get some guests on here we haven't had. Uh, in the past, we are coming up, believe it or not, on the uh, five-year anniversary of the podcast as well. So I wanted to mention that because what we started in 2016, Dave and I, so 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yes, I, I think the summer, uh, this coming summer, will be the fifth-year uh, anniversary of the pod. We will have 125 episodes by that point, definitely. We might get to 150 this year. So maybe, you know, if we can all get this vaccine and get back down to the stadium, we could do a, you know, a fifth anniversary party or something like that and combine it with another charity event. I'd love to do another charity thing, maybe like once a year or something. So I don't know if you got any ideas, um, get at me. We're looking forward to it. Uh, the future is bright, right? We're going to stop shoveling snow. Uh, Carson Wentz will either be here or he won't be here and that'll be solved. Uh, the shitty weather will be over. It'll be summer. Uh, hopefully we'll get everybody vaccinated. We'll get things back to normal. We'll drink some beers and watch some soccer and uh, figure out a way to, you know, celebrate five years of the podcast or something. So let me know what you think about that. Uh, in the meantime, you know, do me a favor. And if you're on, if you listen on uh, iTunes or whatever, go to Apple Podcasts and drop us a uh, try to get as many five star reviews as we can in here. I got a couple of four stars because people didn't like my IPA. Uh, dislike, so I apologize for that. Um, I don't know if the five stars really help us do anything. Maybe it makes us look better. But uh, I realize I've never asked for that before, so I humbly ask you to do that for me. And uh, yeah, onward and upward, looking for a signing schedule, um, something tangible, something meaty that we can talk about. And uh, you know, until then, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. <laughs>